Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. The buzz today, shh, do you hear it? That's right. Be quiet. Do you hear it? Well, if you listen really, really carefully, your commercial moving assets are talking to you. Okay, let me level set. If you're scratching your head, commercial moving assets, what is she talking about? Well, these are the significant machines that move while they're doing something to create business value for your company. It could be a fleet of trucks. It could be aircraft. It could be uh, some kind of uh, transportation moving people from one part of an airport to another, shuttle buses. It could be forklifts, floor sweepers, you name it, something that moves to get a job done. Most important, what are they saying to you? Well, if you listen carefully, if you know how to listen and know how to do something with that information, they're going to tell you about opportunities and efficiencies. They're going to tell you about trust and loyalty. What? They're going to tell you about competitive advantages. They're going to point out some risks and give you clues as to where you can make operational improvements in your machine of your company, your infrastructure. And they're going to lead to profound business cases and new business models all the way across your ecosystems. They have a lot to say. Who benefits from all of this? Everyone wins. The manufacturers, the fleet managers. We're talking about fleets here. And above all, the moving asset operator. If all of this is confounding you, stick around because it's very likely this applies to your business or at least to your industry. You'll want to hear what our panelists have to say. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. Even though we're not specifically talking about cars per se, we're talking about fleets of things that move, which can include cars and anything automotive. Larry is also the sponsor of another series we just finished about an hour ago called the future of cars with game changers. Larry has sent me a very iconic and well-known quote from Albert Einstein, the German-born theoretical physicist who lived from 1879 to 1955. And I'm always surprised that Einstein lived until the mid-1900s. It just seems like it was longer ago than that. But I digress. Here's the quote. Not everything that can be counted counts. And not everything that counts can be counted. Larry Stoley, welcome to Digital Industries Changing the Game. How are you? I'm well, Bonnie. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning to you, Larry. Moving assets. What are these commercial moving assets? And how does what would Einstein say about this? Did he even have a clue about this when he made this wonderful quote? The, the interesting thing is that moving assets are all around us. We see them every day, and we never recognize them as such. We see them in the... Uh, big box stores we go to, the the forklifts, the things that lift stuff to the top shelves. We see them on the highways and trucks, planes, cars, ships. They're all there, and we never realize that those are assets that are moving, and many of them are there for one reason only, and that's to create business value, to deliver goods, to get people where they want to go, you know, to, to do a task that a person doesn't have to do anymore. 
All of those things are, are what moving assets do. And today, all of those assets have sensors on them, sensor for this, sensor for that, sensor that reports on something else. They're, they're sending us all kinds of data. Albert Einstein said not everything, um, uh, how did he put it, um, not everything that can be counted counts. So we're getting stuff that, A, doesn't matter from these moving assets. We're getting things that we haven't understood how to use yet. And then the other side is we may not be getting all of the things that we need to really do a bang-up job of managing and extracting the efficiency and business value out of those moving assets. So this is this is a situation that... Uh, uh, is rapidly evolving into how do we filter the value from the noise and how do we recognize, oh, there's something missing in the noise that we are getting. So that's the relevance of uh, Einstein's profound words from many, many years ago. Thank you very much, Larry Stoller. We always get profound words from you when you're on our panel, and thank you. Thank you for this interesting topic, by the way. I don't think we've ever talked about this, and I'm, I'm tweeting here if you want to know what your moving assets are saying. We'll help you figure that out. So that should be an enticement. Larry Stoley, thank you so much. Joining us also on the panel today is a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He is Bill Powell, Director of Enterprise Architecture for ARI Fleet. That's Automotive Resources International, fondly known as ARI. And very appropriately, Bill is quoting Henry Ford today. Henry Ford, interestingly enough, lived until 1947, just eight years before Einstein left us. That was quite a century, wasn't it? And uh, Ford was an American industrialist, the founder of the Ford Motor Company. And interestingly enough, according to Wikipedia, it says he is the sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. So uh, very interesting. I just thought he invented mass production, but he sponsors it. Very interesting. Talking about innovation. Here's the quote. And this is another iconic quote. We've heard it a hundred times, and it's perfect. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. That's what Henry Ford said. Bill Powell, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you doing? Well, thank you. You're calling from Germany, are you? Is that where you are today? I am. I'm in our office in uh, Eschborn, just about uh, a 10-minute cab ride outside of Frankfurt. Okay. Well, you sound very clear and sharp, which is perfect. Talk about moving assets. We've got moving voices today. Bill, tell me, how come you picked this quote from Henry Ford? I think it's perfect for the topic. And are you a big fan of Henry Ford? Oh, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Um you know, what he brought to the table, along with all the game changers back then, is just something that uh, I don't think we've, I don't think we've truly understand. I mean, we fully realized the impact, the profound impact that he's had to our, uh, to our economy. And I, I just love this quote because it's, a lot of times it's taken out of context. And, and let me just give you my take on it. So mm-hmm. the way I see this quote, and I think that it's a way that maybe a lot of people hopefully uh, understand it also, is that when you first read it, it's like, wow. I was like, I, I, really don't wanna, I really don't care. I really don't want to know what customers are saying is kind of how some people read this. I read it a little bit differently. And remember, the job back then, as you mentioned, is he didn't, uh, as far as the assembly line, to get things going into mass production. It was he had a job to do, right? He had to produce X amount of cars in a short amount of time. And to do that with a lot of permutations, a lot of variables of, I like this car, I want this engine, I want these wheels, 
it's just an impossible task. So you have to set standards. And by doing this, by saying that, you know, if I asked the customers what they wanted, they would have said all these different variables, all these different um, configurations for these vehicles, you would have produced nothing. And as, as an example, in 1908, he produced, uh, Ford Motor Company produced roughly about 10,000 vehicles. By introducing this and sticking to standards and allowing it and just basically a cookie cutter building the same vehicle over and over again, mm-hmm. in ni- by 1920, he's producing almost a million vehicles, 933,000 and a little bit more than that to be exact. So it, it, was, um, it enabled Ford Motor Company to really move at a very, very fast pace. Now, with that being said, I would, I would bet that if Henry Ford was alive today, he would probably not use that same quote because I, I see this in many industries where you have to set standards to get the ball rolling, to get things moving, very much like we're going to talk about today with assets and telematics. Um, you need standards to get things moving. But then once that takes off, then sticking to one-size-fits-all mentality generally does not work. So that's where you have to get into a much more configurable type of options and, and really start listening to the customers, taking, uh, understand what they want, and then start modifying your product, your service, whatever it may be, to their, to their taste and take that product and service to the next level. Thank you very much, Bill. Great, and I appreciate the extrapolation on the quote. And, and yes, very, very interesting, and we are delighted to have you on board. Looking forward to a lot more words of wisdom and POV from you. And let's welcome our third panelist, who is no stranger to Game Changers Radio. It's been way too long since he's been on the air with us. It's Joe Barkai, B-A-R-K-A-I. He's an independent industry analyst and consultant. And Joe has sent me a wonderful quote from Alex. Alice in Wonderland, a little bit off the beaten path for what Joe usually talks about, but let me just give you a little uh, history lesson here, a trivia lesson, if you will. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was the original title of a novel written back in 1865 by an English author named Charles Lutwidge Dodson. You don't know him by that name. You know him by the pseudonym Lewis Carroll. Alice was also featured in the sequel Through the Looking Glass when she fell into a rabbit hole into a fantasy world populated by admittedly peculiar anthropomorphic creatures. Very interesting story. Those of you wondering who Alice really was, Joe, you may not know this. She was curious, pedantic, easily flustered, sweet and clumsy. She was slender with fair skin, rosy cheeks, pink lips, medium thick length, thick medium length blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, her goal was to find out why the white rabbit is late. She had an older sister. Her friends were Tweedledum, March Hare, Bill the Lizard, Tweedledee and more. And her foes were the King of Hearts, the Card Soldiers and the Queen of Hearts. And now that you have all the trivia you'd never wanted to know, here is the quote. I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. Joe Barkai, welcome back. How have you been? Hello, Benny. Great to be back. It's been a while, you're right. And as you can hear, I'm still dragging. I was in China and came back with pretty bad laryngitis, and it doesn't leave me, but I think I'll be okay today. I thought you just sounded sexy and charming. My mistake, Joe. So go ahead. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I I was reading the wrong note. There you go. Don't don't protest. Just enjoy it. So tell me, are you a big fan of Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, or how did you pick Uh, this quote? It's 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 a wonderful quote for our topic. Talk to me. So yes, so absolutely, I am a fan. I have a collection of Alice in Wonderland book uh, books, and in fact, I am in the final stages of writing a book of publishing. Actually, the book is pretty much written. And every single chapter opens with a quotation from, um, from um, Alice in Wonderland or through the, the, 
uh, looking glass. Although I have to admit one chapter, I'm still struggling finding the right uh, quote for that. Alison Wonderland is a great source of quotations for any presentation, for any topic. It's, it's an, a never-ending source. Interesting. So how did you come to pick this one? I knew who right, I was right. this morning. Go ahead. So, so as, as anyone who is kind of a fan of Alice in Wonderland and, and the rest of the books knows that one of the subjects that Lewis Carroll writes about is time. He writes, or the characters talk about what is time. In fact, they say time is not it, time is a he. And they talk about uh, whether time is objective or relative. Does it move only forward or does it always uh, move, or does it al- also move backwards? And we talked about Einstein earlier. Mind you, the book was published, like you said, Bonnie, in 1865. This is about 15 years before Einstein was even born. And only even then, um, Lewis Carroll, who was, by the way, a mathematician, wrote about the relativity of time. So this is kind of interesting, but how is it relevant to the topic of today? We are going to talk about connected assets. Um, and inevitably, many of these conversations about connected assets, assets whether they are uh, moving assets, even fixed assets, becomes a conversation about connectivity. It's about sensors. It's about having lots of data. But to me, the topic of connected assets is really not the connectivity itself. Connectivity is becoming a commodity, which is a topic I think we'll discuss later today. Mm-hmm. So connectivity in itself is not important. But the important thing about connected assets is they can shorten the latency of information. They shorten the time to make better um, higher fidelity decisions. So, you know, like the, the characters in Alice in Wonderland notice, everything changes very quickly, all the time. Alice changed since this morning because so many things happened to her, and what she thought was true is no longer true, or she doesn't even know if it's true or not. So the understanding of time value of information is what should drive the business models um, of connected assets. Mere connectivity, again, is not... Uh, something of business value. So I hope that in the conversation today, we'll talk about the value of information and the time value of information as enabled by connected assets. Thank you, Joe. Very profound. And you dangled a carrot in front of us. And with uh, Larry's and Bill's permission, I'm going to ask you, what is your book about? You said you're writing a book. You just left off that, trailed off that sentence and said you're opening every chapter with a quote from Alice in Wonderland. So what's the topic of your book or do you have a title? Yes, uh, the title is, uh, and, and it is actually very relevant to today's conversation. The title is The Outcome Economy, How the Industrial Internet of Things, call it Connected Assets, is Changing Every Business. So I'm really looking what? at Connected Assets and the Internet of Things from a business perspective. So it's, it deals with the technology, but really it asks this very profound question, which is a little bit like Alison Wonderland-like question. Who cares? You know, why is this important? Very interesting. Well, we just, we're just promoting your book here on Twitter, The Outcome Economy. Uh, maybe this is the first promo you're going to get, one of many, I hope. And uh, thank you very much. We have a panelist on some of our other shows, Joe, a regular panelist who sponsored a series last year, and she loves to quote The Wizard of Oz. So yep. now I think uh-huh. we have Alice in Wonderland in equal contention for great business quotes, and the authors never even saw it coming. Let's circle back. I think we need a pause that refreshes here. A lot of good thinking. Larry Stoley. What are you drinking today? This is the part of the show where I ask, what's in your cup? Talk to me. My cup is still full of plain old black Folgers coffee. It's just a little afternoon, and the coffee pot is just now emptied. So I've worked through my pot today, and I'm quite happy. 
<laughs> this is Larry's second appearance. I'd Second appearance on Game Changers that we were on 10 o'clock this morning on an automotive topic, and now here he is at 12 noon on a moving assets topic. Larry, you certainly are a trooper and a champion. Thank you very much. Drink Thank up. You, and let's talk to Bill Powell. Bill, you're in Germany. What time of the day? And anything interesting in your cup, or what are you drinking after the show, Bill? Oh, so I, I do have a game plan, Bonnie. So right now it's, it's <laughs> 6.20 p.m. here in Germany. And uh, as of now, I, I have a, a nice warm cappuccino in front of me, uh, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll have that throughout this show, and then roughly after that, I have some friends I'm meeting in downtown Frankfurt, and we're going to have some of uh, Frankfurt's uh, famous apple wine, so it's uh, pretty popular Ooh. in this region. Apple, what is it? Is it a uh, fizzy? Is it uh, like, a, uh, like a, a bubbly wine, or is it, what does it taste like? No, it's, it's, it's uh, almost looks like an apple juice. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, they, they serve it traditionally two ways here. One is just straight up where it's just a traditional wine and it's a, like an apple juice type of color. And then second is uh, they'll do a, a 50-50 mix generally with some sparkling water and that's generally how I, how I get it. The wine itself is eh, 5-7% alcohol so like a typical wine right around there but it's absolutely stupendous and it, it's very, very famous in this particular region of Germany. Very interesting. I looked it up, and I'm seeing a spelling here, A-P-F-E-L-W-E-I-N. Apple wine, or most, are German words for cider. It is made mainly from eating apples or cooking apples, like Granny Smith or Bramley, respectively. It is an alcohol alcohol content of 4.8 to 7% and a tart, sour taste. Is that about right, Bill? Spot on. Ah, okay. I think I warned you. I like to look stuff up. Apple wine. Very interesting. That's the first time anybody's mentioned that in over a thousand shows. So good for you. Joe Barkai, where were you today? What are you doing to take care of that throat that you think is scratchy and I think is very charming? Yeah, throat is just water. Uh, next week I'll be in Germany. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> next week I'll be in Germany. So I'm, I just took note of what Bill just said. Um, um, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, post-coffee uh, this morning, so now it's only water, but, you know, in preparing for your uh, show, because I know I cannot get off very easily with you, Bonnie, is I looked up <laughs> some interesting coffees I never had before. So here's a short list, and I need feedback if anyone has experience. So I know I will try things such, well, such as a Java chip, chip coffee. Thai iced coffee looks interesting. But here's a list of some, interest, some coffees that I don't think I'm going to try. Peppermint coffee, I can understand that. Uh, but I don't think I'm, I want to try coconut either. But then coffee risotto. I don't know if anyone had coffee risotto. Or in the last one on my list is listen to this blackberry bitterroot soup with parsnip ice cream. Ooh, I, I don't okay. know what it, what it is, but I need to try this one. Black, well, um, blackberry beetroot soup. Interesting. Well, I just looked up a coffee risotto, and there are recipes all over the web, specifically on foodandwine.com, for risotto with capers and espresso. There are coffee risotto recipes on delicious.com. There you go, Joe. Somebody thinks it's delicious. There is a recipe called coffee and cream risotto at treehugger.com. There's a coffee risotto recipe at brown and brownjenkins.com. That's brown and Jenkins and uh, cooking with booze rum coffee risotto. At <laughs> Joe, the website here is shortmemoryloss.com. I swear. There you go. Oh, this is getting dangerous. Okay, we have a very serious topic now. Our topic is listen 
carefully. Your commercial moving assets are talking. We've already defined these as a fleet of something that moves to do a job that contributes to your business, creates business value. What are they saying? All kinds of things. When we come back, we're going to start the roundtable, courtesy of Larry Stoley, who came up with this wonderful topic for us. And then we will, of course, have Bill Powell at ARI Fleet and Joe Barkai at JoeBarkai.com chime in. And we're going to go around and around the table and help you figure out how closely should you be listening for what should you be listening and perhaps most important of all what should you do with that information once you hear it we could have named the show i hoid it through the grapevine but we didn't you're listening to digital industries changing the game on sap radio we'll be right back don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial justin out comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital Industries, changing the game. Digital Industries certainly are changing the game. We're ready for our nonstop 35-minute-plus roundtable, and Larry Stoley has agreed to kick off the conversation. Larry, I'm looking at your notes. I'll read just a little bit and then love to have you expand it. Then we will invite Bill Powell at ARI Fleet and Joe Barkai to chime in. So let's talk about this. Let's first describe a moving asset or a fleet of moving assets. What are they saying? Where are they going? Are they connected? What does it all mean? Larry Stoley, talk to me. Moving assets are, are very, very interesting and important. If we you know, think back to some of the other shows we've done, Bonnie, we've talked about connected vehicles and how they can change things in the world. But the things that connected vehicles change are really all about convenience and, and so on. When we talk about connecting moving assets, we talk about trains and planes and fleets of vehicles that deliver goods or do services and so on and so forth. And the lens we look at through that data is different than we look at through private vehicles data. The lens we look at through moving assets, connected assets, is one that the important view is how 
do those assets deliver sensor data, deliver information to us that we can use to improve their efficiency, to improve the business value that they're delivering, and to improve their revenue generation, and so on and so forth. At the same time, avoiding risk and improving safety and so on. So in this case, we're not to any degree competitive in what we're doing with the data with anybody else. We're mutually cooperative in saying, hey, this machine is telling us this. What can I as a manufacturer glean from that that will help the end user? The end user is looking at the data and saying, what can I get out of it to improve my financial position? So there's the different lens that we look at in terms of data and in terms of moving assets. Thank you. Bill Powell at ARI. Talk to me. Agree or disagree with what Larry said, and you want to take it in any direction you'd like. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. You know, I, I agree with what Larry said, and I'd like to add on a little bit to that. So moving mm-hmm. assets, uh, from my perspective, is exactly what Larry said, plus it's, it's, it's also all the ancillary um, equipment um, information that those ancillary pieces of informa- or equipment generate. So think of it like a, a work truck. It's, it's out there. You have the asset itself, the chassis of the vehicle. It's, it's sending us back longitude, latitude. Hey, this is where I am as of right now. But what about all the other equipment that's on that vehicle, whether it's a telephone, uh, telecommunications truck and it has cranes and booms, outriggers, you know, to keep the truck stable and all that. All those different pieces of equipment can or cannot have, uh, can be connected. And we're starting to see a progression of uh, them becoming more connected to the actual chassis. So, and why, why is that important? Because a lot of those pieces of equipment, when they, if there's issues with them, if there's routine maintenance that needs to be done, whatever the condition may be, you just can't simply just go up there and just take it off the vehicle. Right? You have to schedule the complete asset, the complete downtime of that asset, and you want to have a backup. And as Larry said, remember, these are revenue-generating assets. They're out there for a particular reason. It's dissimilar from, a, uh, say, a sales vehicle where they're out there selling pharmaceutical uh, work for a pharmaceutical company or working for others, some sort of sales operation. These vehicles are after generating revenue, whether they're uh, fixing railroads, whether they're doing t- telecommunications, energy, whatever it may be. And the main enemy of that vehicle, of that fleet, is downtime. That is the, one of the, that is the significant driving factor if, if we're looking at costs when it comes to that, fo- quickly followed by the actual rent or lease of that vehicle and the fuel. So the, reducing that driver, reducing that downtime, or maximizing the uptime, if you want to look at it that way, that is, that is really one of the main driving factors here when we're looking at these connected assets and all their ancillary pieces of equipment. Thank you. Joe Barkai, thoughts, please? Yes, um, of course, um, we all agree that we need to look at the business value of the data coming from a connected asset. Um, I think that we need to, we as industry, not necessarily the three of us, have to work much harder on defining this business value. I am not surprised that Bill again talks about uptime because in a funny way and in a very disappointing way, I guess, um, the industry still understands downtime or improving downtime is, 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 only, is, is one of very, very few use cases why connected cars uh, or connected assets are important. So I think that it's an opportunity for the three of us uh, to expand the envelope a little bit and, and try to understand what is the business, where is the business value of the data coming from uh, connected assets. Uh, and just to maybe start the conversation, there's certainly the maintenance, the predictive maintenance perhaps to improve uptime. There's no doubt that this is um, an area. Um, 
From an internal perspective, it's, it's uptime, it's uh, perhaps quality management, perhaps operation optimization. Uh, if we're talking about the, the internal uh, perspective of the, our customer customers, i.e. the fleet operators, uh, the fleet owners, you look at route optimization and so on. But, um, but going back to, to my book, and thanks, Bonnie, for giving me the platform, mm-hmm. it's really the opportunity to create new business models, new engagement models between us and our customers. So to me, the killer app, if there's one, of connected assets is the ability to create new business models that are really outcome-based. To translate this into more tactical terms, outcome-based would be I'm contracting with my customer based on the outcome, uh, the product that my product creates. So I'm not selling them trucks, I sell them holding capacity. I don't send them uh, jet engines. I sell them, you know, lift power, if it will, if you will. And these are not abstract notions. It's happening today, where we sell our products and we uh, package the product with service contracts to guarantee outcome. Uh, going back to the roots of this idea, which is now kind of having next life because of the connected uh, assets. It's an old idea that came from. And now I'm going to draw a complete blank about that, the name. But it came from um, Harvard Business School professor who said at some point, people don't want half-inch drills. What they want is half-inch holes. So what I'm doing in my outcome-based model, I'm selling you the capacity to generate holes. And I worry about whether it's a drill or a different tool, if this makes sense. It does make sense, and I'm trying to find out the source. That's a very famous quote. Uh, Larry Stoli, I'm going to circle back to you. Any thoughts about what uh, Bill and Joe just added. Well, it, it, they're both absolutely right. I mean, when you think about it, what do people want? They, it, it's morphing. Years ago, we used to say, I want a truck. Years ago, we used to say, I want a truck to deliver the goods that I'm providing. And what's really happening now is they want full shelves. They want clean floors. They want goods moved from one place to another. That's the outcome that they, they want, and that's the, 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 the ability that we have today to understand the where, the when, the how, and perhaps in some cases the why of how we get to those outcomes. Because at the end of the day, the whole economy is changing. It's changing from one of unique ownership to one of unique service. Thank you, right. and I have so, so, I have the answer. Joe Barkai, it's, it's Professor it's Theodore, Theodore Levitt. Theodore Levitt. Yep. I just, I just, just got it. Just, well, I have the draft of my book in front of me, so I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to go Google it a couple times, but I found it but, too. But you, but you did well. This was pretty quick. I, I try. I, I try to be a connected asset when I can on these oh, and, shows. And actually, Bonnie, thanks for the segue, uh, because I, another comment I wanted to add to the conversation is that we talk about sensor-generated data, and obviously this is what kind of drives the conversation, the new opportunities around technologies that generate more data from sensors. But if you look at the ability to provide better service to our product department, for, for, for example, to better understand our products, how the products operate, how the users interact with, the, uh, with, the, with our products, uh, we certainly want device or sensor-generated data, but we also want human-generated data, such as comments on, on LinkedIn, perhaps, or, or you know, social media, as far as interaction with the products. Back to trucks, perhaps, uh, there is a fairly well-known 
website where service technicians exchange information outside of the OEM network. So social media or human-generated information is as critical to providing this value that Larry was discussing uh, to our customers. So, you know, we need to think, we might say that people are things too. People are connected, just like uh, like you just said, Bonnie. Okay, I, I want to do a little level setting here before we move into another part of the conversation. Now, we're talking about new business models, new ideas, way to give value. It's not the drill bit somebody's buying. It's the whole that results from the use of that drill bit when it is doing its job effectively. It's not the bus they're buying. It's getting people from point A to point B efficiently and safely and with their luggage or with their packages, whatever it is. So it's the outcome-based, as Joe so so uh, eloquently put it, and, and the, the base of his book. So let's talk about, uh, Larry, I'm just going to ask you to, to help me level set this. To whom are we addressing all of this wonderful information? Are we talking to what industry, what part of the world? Who is it? What businesses will benefit from this? Who should be listening and saying, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I don't need a fleet of sweepers. I don't need a fleet of jitney buses. I'm not moving anything. Does this apply globally, universally, or is this just some niche businesses that will really be able to leverage this? Larry, I'm going to go around the table, but Larry Stoley, thoughts, please? Well, I think there are three three levels of this whole conversation. Level number one is the ve- whoever provides the vehicle or the thing, the asset that we're talking about. They, they benefit significantly from the information received from sensors and operators. The second level of, of uh, business values derived from people who manage fleets. This is a company like ARI. This could be any other fleet, fleet management uh, organization. It could be an OEM or a manufacturer as well. It could be a supplier. But the point is the managers of those fleets that provide those outcomes and those business services to manage the fleets are people who benefit from this. And at the end of the day, it's also the people who have a job to be done, whether that be cleaning floors, moving passengers, moving goods. Those are, are the people who will benefit significantly from efficiencies and operational uh, new ideas that can be gleaned from this stuff. So three levels, manufacturers, managers, and end users, operators, if you will. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to see what Bill Palladay, ARI Fleet, thinks. Uh, Bill? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So along the same lines as Larry, um, and to expand on that a little bit, I think the you really have to look inward. So when you're talking to customers, when you're looking at different businesses, you have to understand uh, what their processes are. And, and the reason I'm saying that is because this connected, the connected asset is a, is a great source of information, but it's one-dimensional, right? It's one piece, even though it's a lot of information about that asset. The real value is when you start looking at this thing on a two-dimensional basis, meaning that you start combining uh, what the asset is actually telling you with maybe some other core business processes that that asset is designed to do. So case in point, if, you're, if we're talking about a fleet of moving vehicles, we're talking about not just one or two, but two, three, four, five thousand vehicles, you have to look at things at the aggregate level. So things that maybe we take uh, for granted on, our, on a personal basis, such as some of the, the quick low-hanging fruit that you can realize with, with this type of technology, uh, slowing the fleet down, reducing the idle time, reducing what we call jackrabbit starts and stops. You know, why, why is that important and, and who is it relevant to? Well, I, I think it, it, it traverses through most businesses because 
ultimately what you're trying to do there is you're trying to reduce costs. You know, they're all aimed at reducing the fuel expense or maybe making the driver safer. You know, every hour of idle on a vehicle is roughly about a gallon, one gallon of gasoline. Now, it doesn't sound like much to you or me on our personal vehicle, but you extrapolate mm-hmm. that over 5,000 vehicle fleet to 10,000 vehicle fleet over a year or two, it's pretty significant. And it adds up very, very quickly. So uh, who, who, would, who, who would like to realize that expense? I would say almost anyone who's running a, who, uh, running a, a sizable fleet. Now, when you get into specialized fleets, um, vehicles, especially fleets that maybe service other customers, then you really need to sit down. You need to talk to them. You need to understand what they're doing. So as, a, as an example, there's a, there's a company that, uh, that, that, us, that utilizes this information to provide better service to their customers. Um, a customer, one of these customers services restrooms. doesn't sound like a very glorious job, but let's just say that you know, they, they are – they know they're, they run very tight P&Ls. They understand uh, proper service, and they understand that for each one of their locations they service, it should be, let's just say, 15 minutes. So by the time a driver gets there, it's about 15 minutes for them to service that bathroom. Well, how do they know for sure that's actually being done? So if you look at it on a one-dimensional mm-hmm. basis, you really can't. If you look at it on a two-dimensional basis, meaning that you understand who, are, who their customers are, uh, what the SLA is supposed to be for that, and then you combine that with the information that that asset can tell you, Hey, I'm here. I'm within 400 feet of one of my customers. The timer starts. When they, when they leave that area, the timer stops. Now you have something that's measurable. And now you can start looking at that and start asking questions and actually driving real business value and actually changing the way that people work. I think that's, that, that's uh, one of the most exciting things that, that we're looking at right now. Thank you. I'm glad to hear the word exciting in this because I think it is. It's, it's a new topic for me, and it certainly sounds it. Joe Barkai, let's hear some excitement from you on what we've shared so far on who, who, to whom does this apply. Thoughts, Joe? Right. No, it applies to, quote-unquote, everyone and anyone. I think that we all agree that we are looking at almost three tiers, the manufacturer or the product owner, the manufacturer's customer, and the manufacturer's customer's customer. So, the, the manufacturer could be a truck OEM, the customer would be a fleet owner, and the customer's customer would be maybe the operator. But I think that we need to also think about this as an opportunity to rethink the business model and the operating model. Said differently, very often technology is a great excuse to rethink the model. And as I think we all agree, here's an opportunity to rethink how we engage with our customers, how we help our customers engage with their customers, and then find new opportunities. And these could be, uh, if, if they're product-centric, uh, they will be about a better understanding of the product, improving functionality, improving quality, etc. And And also, from an operation perspective, it will be optimization. And Bill just mentioned a couple of examples how we optimize operation in terms of routing, idle time, and so on. So it's really a great opportunity to step back and say, supposedly we have all this data both connected data and data that comes from other sources. What are the opportunities we have now to offer new engagement, engagement models that benefit our customers and benefit us because they are of higher utilization and a higher profitability? Thank you very much, Joe. Larry, anything you want to add before I move on to some topics in Bill Powell's notes? Just, just a real quick comment on this thing. Bill said it, and, and you know, Joe alluded to it as well. All of this data... You think of it as, as a pixel, right? Just a single point of data. It means nothing by itself. But when you start adding pixels together, you start putting pixels together, you start to get a, a, a bit of a picture. The more pixels you put in, the more data points you put in, the clearer the picture you got. 
And that picture can be whatever you want it to be, something that's important from a vehicle manufacturer's perspective, something that's important uh, from an ARI perspective, for example, that allows them to deliver business value to their customers, or something from an operator's perspective. All of those little bits of data in aggregate, in pixels, come together to create a really clear picture of what's going on. And then the human brain can interpret that into an or artificial intelligence, I don't mean to be um, um, <laughs> unique here, can interpret that into what can be or what should be. That's the important thing. Data in aggregate, pixels in a screen, that can take us in the directions we need to go. Thank you very much. Very eloquent, all three of you. And now I'm looking at some notes from Bill Powell at ARI Fleet. Bill, who owns the data? Very important. Let me just read some notes here. You say the old who owns the data question. In the case of fleet operators, probably there is an agreement between the manufacturer, for example, of a heavy truck, to get the telemetry from the vehicle or the forklift to understand how is the vehicle operating, to remove latency from failure reporting and ultimately improve the quality of the vehicle. Or is it the fleet operator? Who owns that data? Who gets first dibs on it? Who should be the first to see it, analyze it, and do something with it, and hopefully not bury it. Bill. <laughs> Bonnie, great. <laughs> um, I guess it's, I'm going to start with it depends. So <laughs> it's a big oh, gee. on, on, on <laughs> okay. the context. So not, not to be uh, evasive here, but it, it really depends on the context of the use of that information, uh, the locale where it is, meaning are we talking about the United States? Are we talking about something a little bit stricter in terms of private use of information, such as where I am in Germany right now? It really varies quite a bit. Um, in, in North America, uh, it's, it's pretty progressive in terms of who's using this information right now, what it's being used for. And in the fleet business, I would say we have it a little bit easier just from the fact that it's typically it is a company-owned asset that that driver is operating whether it's the asset itself or ancillary equipment on that asset, it's, it all rolls up to the umbrella of it's owned by some corporation. And with that, very much like the driver has to go through um, MVR checks, motor vehicle checks, to make sure that a driver is properly licensed to operate that vehicle, uh, there's different checklists that you have to go through. Some corporations have instilled and said, all right, well, to be upfront, if you're going to be an operator of one of our assets, you do realize that we have some sort of uh, telematics or asset tracking device on this, on this chassis along with all this equipment, and this is what we use it for and this is what we do not use it for. So diffusing it, making that up, uh, letting the driver understand up front how it's being used and why it's being used, the real business value and the drivers behind it is very, very important. You get into an environment like I'm in right now in Germany, um, then you have, to, you have to deal with uh, possibly the works council. The works council, you can mm-hmm. think of it as uh, they, they get involved in things such as even email. So if, if, if you're changing any kind of business processes, anything that may affect that employee, or that ultimately that driver, then um, it needs to go through a different level of scrutiny and make sure that they clearly understand what it will and what it will not be used for. It gets into also the fact of what do you do with it? So these technology companies, every hop, every step of the way, whoever touches this information, where is it? How are you protecting that information? Where is it stored? Who has access to it? And what is it being used for internally? Are you holding it? Are you selling it? Are you deriving additional value with it? So there's a lot of, I circle back to that, depends. It really, mm-hmm. it really does depend on the context of the question and, and who's asking it. 
And Bill, I'm looking further down in your notes, and this is uh, also another very provocative point here that I know Joe is going to want to pounce on in just a second. Uh, you say issues can come in when a driver, let's say a truck driver, a fleet of tr- truck driver, fleet drivers deviate from the planned schedule or the route. You said, hey, hey, Bob, you're going to drive this way and that way, and, and this is going to be the rest stop you pick, and this is going to be you're going to not go on the toll roads, and they have a brighter idea, and they go in a different direction. You're looking at the, at the GPS data, whatever you're doing, and you say, okay, you didn't go along the route that the company approved. And they come back to you, Bob says, what are you doing? Are you watching me? Are you telling me what to do? You hired me as a professional driver. So personal space, big brother, big sister is watching. Any quick comments on, on a question of violation of using that data and violating the person who is the immediate operator of that asset in terms of their independence or their professionalism. Is that real or is it just a the plot for a bad movie, Bill? No, I, I, I see it, our experience, my experience with that is that you have to deal with that up front. So when this, when this technology first came out years ago and we, and we started to work with some customers on it, uh, we get some crazy requests. And you know, once the drivers understand that it's there, it's like, hey, I'm trying to track where my husband was last night or something like that. And those are areas right away where you have flags coming up saying, well, okay, that's personal, private information. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything related to that business. And, yeah, you just deflect or you diffuse those things right away. Um, when it comes to anything that's business-related, if it has a business value, especially if it's coming from the, the fleet, the company that we're working with, yeah, obviously you're going you're to take a look at that and, and do what you can to, um, to handle that situation. Thank you very much. I still think it's a plot for a good movie. Joe, after you publish your book, you're not going to collaborate on a movie about moving assets and tracking data. <laughs> Joe Barkai, I am writing a play. I'll talk to you about it later. Joe, talk to me about what Bill Powell just shared. Interesting about who gets to see the data and what do they do with it. Joe? Yeah, it's an ongoing conversation debate, and Bill is right, it varies by one geography to the other, but it really boils down to ethical and and legal questions, and in many cases, we don't have the precedence, we don't have the case law. I think in some instances, uh, we can kind of hide, as it were, under the existing company policy. So I think for truck drivers, maybe the conversation is not as complex because they've signed up for that. But think about other instances that are beyond uh, commercial tractor beyond routine operation. What happens, for example, if a driver, even commercial driver, is involved in a crash? Does the police have the right to access the data stored in the truck and use it to, to investigate the, uh, the incident? As far as I know, and this is really a legal conversation, it varies also by state, from state to state, but in most cases, the kind of the assumption is that if anyone says so, then one needs a court order to uh, access um, the data. And I don't think that today is the forum for the legal conversation, but I know it's still an open, open conversation. Another area that it potentially will be harder to resolve because it's, it's vague and it's really not as, as um, kind of dramatic as, as car crashes is as far as what to use, uh, who can use the data for what purpose. Can a fleet owner sell the data, maybe to the OEM, so the OEM knows more and better how to use the trucks? Can the OEM then use it to maybe sell it to commercial services companies? So it's, it's a murky area. It's, it's a very active topic of conversation. And in many ways, it will be one of the drivers that will dictate how fast connected assets uh, become kind of um, an everyday um, uh, endeavor versus one-off uh, initiatives. And by the way, it's, it's true for 
connected commercial uh, assets. It's true for connected cars. It's true for many, many other applications. Thank you. You know, we won't get into a legally murky area, but it certainly is a very provocative topic. Larry Stoley, thoughts on what we've just shared? Well, the, the only thing I'll add is there is a, a legal precedent that, that is in play here, and it's called implied consent. So many of the, the situations that we talk about when the driver signs on to uh, uh, operate a vehicle or whatever, he implies that he gives consent to uh, monitor what he's doing. Now, mm-hmm. as Bill said, there are certain things that throw up red flags and you don't do. But when it comes to crash investigation and so on, insurance companies in your policy have this thing called implied consent. You, they can use anything and anything, everything and anything, to investigate an accident. You give them that authorization. It's implied in, implied in your signature on the policy. Your driver's license, for example, also has this thing called implied consent. You're operating your vehicle. You get pulled over. You've been drinking. You give the police officer your authorization to do a breath test or an alcohol uh, content check. Mm -hmm. That's implied in your signature on the driver's license. So some of these things, as, as Joe absolutely was right, are going to be debated, and many things have already been addressed. So I, I think we're, we're in a bit of a murky place, but I think things are probably a little less murky than we all think because of the implied consent law. Thank you, Larry Stoling, and I know I already have implied consent or explicit consent from you and Bill Powell and Joe Barkai to launch right now into our crystal ball predictions part of the show and talk about murky. I don't know. Okay, we'll, we'll go back to that old song that I refuse just to sing. I can see clearly now, Larry Stoley, look into the crystal ball. You know, I love the year 2020, but how far ahead can you predict what will change about this topic if we met again? And I hope we do in the future about your moving assets, tuning in and listening for operational value. Larry Stoley, predictions. I can give you a whole 60 seconds. Go ahead, Larry. What do you predict? I, I, I predict this. All of the sensor data that's coming, more and more of it will be organized into these pixels that will go on the canvas. And the picture that's generated from moving assets, uh, whatever that picture is, will become increasingly clear over the next five years, the next ten years. That increasingly clear picture is just like terming, turning up the magnification on a telescope you will see clearly what you couldn't see tomorrow you will see clearly what you couldn't see today that's my prediction the number of pixels on the canvas or on the screen will increase the picture will be clearer and the things we can do from with that picture from that picture will be more prominent and more pronounced in five years or ten years from now Thank you very much. Words of wisdom from Larry Stoley. And let's move to Bill Powell at ARI. Oh, somebody's got a phone call. Put them on hold. Bill Powell, talk to me. Predictions? <laughs> 60 seconds. Go. Tell them we're not done yet. Bill, go ahead. Okay. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, my, my prediction is on uh, mostly on a, on a let's just say, the, the collection and the aggregation of the data. Uh, namely, uh, when we're going to see the OEMs become more engaged, we're starting to see that General Motors, as an example, and Ford, very progressive, very forward-looking when they're getting into this information. Mercedes on the, on the, on the Class 7, Class 8 trucks, very much so. 
Um, but if you're running a fleet, take a step back and look. If you're running a fleet, you're running in disparate locations. Let's just talk North America. They're all over the place. The chances of you running the identical, manu- all, you know, the same manufacturer's vehicle everywhere is very slim to none. So right now, you have to deal with uh, the collection and the aggregation from various sources, and it's a huge piece of big data. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see the consolidation of that middle market. Right now, there's a lot of niche players that are in the middle, and I think you're going to see a consolidation of that, and we're working directly with the OEMs to, again, reduce that data latency and to get that information as quickly as possible so you can take action on it. Thank you very much. And Joe Barkai, predictions. You're a pro at this. What do you see in the crystal ball, Joe? How far out in the future? Well, uh, next five, ten years, uh, we'll see acceleration in connected asset applications. I agree with with both Larry and, and, and Bill. We'll see more of those. I do think that at the same time, we'll see many kind of nonsense, trivial applications, you know, connected assets for the sake of connecting them without really having a sustainable, scalable business model. Um, but I do think that even those that will be successful will have more characteristics of a one-off project, one-off initiative, because, and this is the biggest problem I'm seeing in connected assets space overall, uh, the connectivity, as I said earlier, is not a problem. Connectivity is becoming a commodity. It's easy. It's accessible. It's free, sufficiently secured. But what we're still missing is semantic data standards, i.e., the ability to understand data that comes from different sources because one asset sends in data in a different way, in different format, different meaning than another asset. So if you're looking at the ability to aggregate data, as Larry said, uh, to put the pixels in Larry's pictures together, knowing that the pixels come from different sources, this will be a big challenge going forward. Um, We're not seeing this being resolved anytime soon. Therefore, those successes will be very hard to reach. They'll be interesting, but they'll be one-off, and they will not scale well because of the lack of interoperability data models uh, and business models. That's my Thank prediction. you, Joe Barkai. Joe, prediction. When's your book coming out? Um, electronic version probably sooner, but I'm timing the paper, uh, you know, the, the real physical book, um, to coincide with a conference on IoT, which will probably be early in June. Okay, well, we'd love you to come back and talk about your book. We'll put a panel together. Yeah, Yeah, that would be great. So please keep me posted. My play is going to probably be produced later this year. It's just a 15-minute, and it does revolve around a moving asset, what we used to call a taxi, (laughs) now an Uber. Talk about a a uh, time-lapse of... 10 years, 10 years, 10 years with a couple in a cab and the same driver, but I gave away the plot. Don't steal it, Joe. Thank you to Larry Stoley at SAP, Bill Powell at ARI. Pleasure to meet you, Bill. Thank you for being so articulate and participating, Joe Barkai. Always great. Larry, we have to stop meeting like this. Two shows in three hours. Come on. And a shout out to Petra Benning at SAP, who's the sponsor of this series. Larry, you saved the day. You're my champ. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Whatever kind of moving asset you're on, you're going to need a seatbelt because time is moving fast. Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Why not? Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.